this morning, we're going to talk about love. All right, that's pretty exciting, isn't it? But not just any type of love. We're talking a very particular, very specific type of love. All right, tough love. Anybody ever experienced tough love? You guys know what that's like, okay? We, my, my wife showed some tough love last night, letting, letting our newborn daughter cry through the night. All right, that's real tough love. I spend a lot of time with football players and, more importantly, football coaches, and they scream at you, they yell at you, but it's all in the name of tough love, so it's okay, right? But, but there's a reason why we have to talk about love, because there's a general confusion in our society and our culture about real love and what it truly is. I mean, if you think about it, Hollywood has its own definition of love, and it's more of a romance with the chick flicks and the bachelor and, you know, all these different things that it, the movies that Hollywood puts out. But, but even think about this for a moment. Think about the different ways we use the word love, all right? Hopefully my husbands and wives, all right, on a regular basis, you're reminding your spouse how much they mean to you, how much you love them, because oftentimes it's hard to believe, all right, but wives especially, all right, they forget that, right? Even though you said it on your wedding day, even though you put on a tuxedo and made it public, all right, people tend to forget that you love them, all right? Hopefully you're reminding your kids, your family, your loved ones how much you love them. I hope you go out into your community and you share with your coworkers how much you love your church and how much it means to you. I mean, you might work an amazing job and come home every day and talk about how much you love what you get to do. But how else do we use this word love? Well, I'm sure many of you ladies came into church this afternoon, and it's finally fall, so you got to break out that nice fall scarf. And maybe another, compliment, another lady complimented you and said, I love your scarf. Or some of the, the fellas, the guys in this, you know, in this church, maybe you got to get a brand new set of tires for your Chevy truck, and, right? and you love your truck, and you love your tires. And I know it's a little later, so it's almost lunchtime, and some of you guys are thinking about how much you would love a piece of fried chicken, all right? Or you're going Mexican this afternoon, and those chips and salsa come out, right? I, don't, I, I love queso, all right? I love chips. Some of y'all probably watched football yesterday and made a statement, I love the dogs, right? Or I love the tide, right? Do you see all the different ways we use this word, the exact same statement we use to communicate our feelings and emotions for our spouse, we use to describe our feelings for food. So more, it's more important than ever to define, to know what is love, and more importantly, what is tough love. All right, I've got a, I've got a really quick and easy statement, a definition. Love is simply this. All right, it is a sacrifice for the good of another. All right, if you're taking notes, that might be a good thing to write down. It's the sacrifice for the good of another. And so here's what's really interesting. All right, if you read the Bible cover to cover, every verse, every chapter, every book is ultimately about who? All right, this is where we need a little crowd interaction. Jesus, right? When in doubt, say Jesus, all right? It's all about Jesus. And Jesus is the living, breathing, talking embodiment of what? Of love. Because everything Jesus did, all right, he sacrificed for the good of another. That's what his life was all about. So in one sense, this whole book that we read, that we memorize, that we sing, it's all about love. Now what we're about to read and I'm about to preach on is 1 Corinthians 13, and you can think about it this way. This is the most concentrated, the most concise 
to-the-point passage on love. It's all about love because here's what you see in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 7, 15 consecutive descriptions on love, back to back to back to back. And here's what's really interesting. Every one of these descriptions is an action verb. So what does that tell you about love? Love is more than a feeling. It's more than just warm fuzzies. It's more than butterflies, all right? Love, love is not less than that. It's more than that. It might start with a feeling, but real love, tough love, biblical love, all right, is always in action. It leads to you doing something. Now, before we get into this passage, i got to give you a little context because this is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Corinth. And this church had lost the love, okay? Now, not only had they lost the love, they were showing love in the wrong way. Here's what I mean. If you read all these different chapters, you'll see Paul address things like division and strife and discord. He mentions that there's conflict in the church. There's one member that is actually suing another member. There's a lot of selfishness. There's a lot of boasting. There's discord all throughout the church. And in fact, even when they're celebrating the Lord's Supper, some members in the church are getting drunk, not with the grape juice, right? With the wine, all right? This church, all right, had lost the love for each other. But on top of that, all right, they were showing, displaying the wrong kind of love. Here's what I mean. Because just down the road from the church in Corinth, there was one very important temple. All right? And this temple was erected to a certain god, and this god went by the name of Aphrodite. All right? Y'all heard of Aphrodite? She was the god of what? Love, right? All right? Don't say Jesus on that one, all right? The god of love. And, and here's how you worshiped Aphrodite at, the, at her temple there was over 1,000 temple prostitutes. Okay, so this church in Corinth had a major problem with sexual immorality and promiscuity. In fact, there was one particular member who was engaged in an illicit sexual relationship with his very own stepmother. All right, you see what I'm saying? This is the wrong kind of love. And so very often when somebody reads 1 Corinthians 13, what's the context? It's at a what? at a wedding, right? And there's a beautiful bride and a beautiful groom, and everybody's smiling, and they read this passage on love. We almost picture Paul preaching in that sort of setting, but that's not what's going on here. What we're about to read is a rebuke to a dysfunctional church, a church that has lost the love and showing the wrong kind of love. And what Paul is attempting to do in these verses, he's attempting to apply the principles of Christ-like love to the entire church. And so here are the three main points for this morning. And we're really going to hone in on verse 7. But true love, tough love, walks through the worst, believes the best, and holds on. Tough love walks through the worst, believes the best, and holds on. So we're going to read in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. We're going to pay special attention to verse 7. Read along with me. It says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. 
Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Now, most of us, when we hear a passage on love or even think about the concept of love, we, we, we tend to fall in two extremes. Maybe you're a hopeless romantic and you believe deep down, if I can just meet this type of person, have this type of loving relationship, all of life will work out. Or maybe you're on the opposite side and you're a cynic, all right? And you've been burned by love. And you're skeptical of love. Do you know that Paul actually in this passage addresses both groups, both camps? To the hopeless romantic, here's what Paul is saying. Look, love is harder than you realize. It is much tougher than you think in your mind. But to the cynic, love, Paul says this, love is more powerful than you can ever imagine. So let's walk through these three main points. The first one is this, is that love walks through the, walks through the worst. Verse 7, Paul says that love bears all things. This word in the original language, it means it puts up with. It's actually describing a deep groan or deep sigh. This word bears is actually the same word that, that they use in that language for the word roof. It's a covering. So think very quickly, what is the purpose of a roof? The roof over your home, the roof over this church, right? It protects you, your family, your valuables, your property from hostile elements, right? From rain, from snow, from sleet, from showers, all these different things. And so Paul's painting a picture right here. He's saying, look, this is what it means to bear all things. We, we cover people, we cover our loved ones from hostile elements, Paul actually uses this exact same language in another passage, Galatians 6, 1 through 2. He says this, If anyone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore them with the spirit of gentleness. But keep watch over yourself, lest you be tempted. All right, here's the phrase, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Do you see what's going on here? Paul is equating the law of Christ with bearing burdens. Well, what is the law of Christ? We find it in Matthew 22. We find it in Mark 12. It's simply this. Jesus commands us to love God and to love who? Each other. And so here's what Paul is doing, because oftentimes when we think and talk about loving other people, all right, it's this warm, nice conversation. It's this lofty concept. But Paul is bringing this down to earth. He's bringing this to, the, to reality. He's saying, look, if you want to fulfill the law of Christ, if you want to love other people, you know what it feels like a lot of times? You know what it's like to experience that? It's like having a heavy burden on your shoulders. All right? It's a weight. It's heavy. But that's what we're called to do, to fulfill the law of Jesus. And so the burdens of our brothers, our sisters, that are the members of this church, it could be a particular challenge it could be a sin struggle. It could be a difficult child. It could be a home renovation. It could be painting this room. It could be a sickness or an illness. And the picture that Paul is painting is that if we're to love one another, if we're called to fulfill the law of Christ, we've got to bear that burden. And so that means that we have to come near them. We have to come near that person. We've got to stand next to them. I've got to drop my shoulder under that burden, under that weight, and I've got to put some of that weight on my back. 
We've got to distribute it evenly between the both of us. I've got to lighten his load. And so here's what this means. If we're going to show tough love, can we do it from a distance? No. I've got to be near. I've got to be in the same proximity. I've got to come in close. I've got to listen to people. I've got to understand them. I've got to empathize with them. But here's the second thing it means about love. Oftentimes, real love, tough love, is heavy. And we know this is true. But when you re- have you ever been in a situation where you're trying to love someone and it takes a spiritual, emotional, and physical toll on you? This is real, tough love. Here's what else we see about tough love. Tough love is willing to confront. Because tough love is radically committed to the person, but also the truth. Do you get that? See, oftentimes we choose one or the other. But tough love is committed both to the truth of God's word and the person. This is what Paul is referring to in Ephesians 4 when he says we're commanded to speak the truth with love. And instead of picking one or the other, we've got to do both. But see, oftentimes we speak the truth, but we lack what? Love. And what is that? That's just harshness and that's cruelty. And Paul addresses this in verses 1 through 3 of 1 Corinthians 13. Check it out with me. Paul says this, If I speak with the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. He says, If I have prophetic powers, understand all mysteries, and have faith to move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. He says, If I give away all that I have and deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. You see what Paul is describing here? He's describing three groups with amazing spiritual gifts, but they lacked one important ingredient. They lacked love. And Paul says this, if you lack love, it doesn't just diminish your impact, it eliminates your impact. Paul says this, he says, look, you can speak in any language. You can even speak the angelic language. And you can communicate the truth of the gospel, but if you don't have love, You're saying nothing. Paul says you can have the gift of prophecy, amazing gifts of faith, but if you don't have love, you're nothing. Finally, Paul says you can be sacrificial. You can be generous. You can give away everything you have, right? You can give up your own body, right? Oftentimes we give away things, right? We donate stuff to Goodwill, but what do we give away, right? Our old VHS tapes, right? Your old mom jeans you don't wear anymore, right? But this is a person who gives away everything, even their whole body. And Paul says this, if you lack love, you gain nothing. See, a lack of love does not just diminish or lessen our impact. It eliminates it. We have to speak the truth with love. But there's a flip side. There's a flip side to this because other times... All right, in the name of love, or at an attempt to love, we fail to bring the truth. And this isn't real love. This isn't tough love. This is sentiment, and this is phony love. Because if we fail to speak the truth, we are devaluing that relationship. What we're communicating is that this relationship is not worth enough to me to speak the truth. One pastor, a man named E.H. Gifford, says this, The more a father loves his son, 
the more he hates in him the drunkard, the liar, and the traitor. The fact is, anger isn't the opposite of love. Hate is. And the final form of hate is indifference. You know, Pastor Andrew mentioned this a couple months ago. He said this, an unwillingness to confront is the easiest form of hate. Because a love that is unwilling to communicate the hard truths to someone, it isn't love. It's a selfish desire to be accepted. Do you get that? A love that is unwilling to confront or share the truth of God's word is not real love. It is a selfish desire to be accepted. All right, so we've got to walk through the worst with our brothers and sisters. We've got to speak the truth with love, but we also have to believe the best. Tough love believes the best. Paul says this, that tough love believes all things and hopes all things. So we're not cynical, we're not suspicious, skeptical, or judgment, judgmental. We assume the best in people. Tough love wants to believe in people. It's eager to believe in you. See, when we have tough love, we try to have the eyes of God. We, we, try, we attempt to see where somebody is and where they could be. We simultaneously try to see where somebody is and by the grace of God where they could be. We try, in, in a sense, it's like this, all right? We, we want to have the same eyes that Chip and Joanna Gaines all right, have for home renovation, all right? We, we got any fixer-upper fans in the audience? All right, guys, you can admit to watching this show, all right? This is a tough, manly show, all right? It's home renovation. You don't lose your man card for watching this one, okay? But for those of you who don't know about this show, all right, it, it follows a married couple, Chip and Joanna Gaines, and they live in Waco, Texas, and what they do is they find the most jacked-up, tacky, dilapidated homes, and they completely renovate them. I mean, I mean so they're just incredible, amazing designer homes. But it's really incredible because at the beginning of every episode, all right, primarily Joe, all right, the wife, she will walk into these kitchens. She will walk into these living rooms and she'll see roaches and cobwebs, all right? Or, or she might see some really tacky decor or some mold in the corner, but she doesn't see, she, she notices those things, but then she makes these comments like, Oh, we, we need to have a, I see a fireplace in this corner. And I see a blue backsplash here. And I see a little reading nook over here. She is able to simultaneously see what is and what could be. With a little grace, the potential of this room. I mean, think for just a moment, maybe your favorite teacher, your favorite coach in middle school and high school. What, why were you so drawn to that teacher? Why were you so drawn to that coach? Because they saw something in you. They saw potential. They saw something that wasn't fulfilled. Something wasn't realized, but they believed in you. All right, those are the eyes of God. I see where somebody is, but also by the grace of God, what they could be. That's what it means to believe the best. But you're probably sitting here and you're saying, look, Ben, you don't know my situation. You, you, you don't know this relationship that I'm in. What if I can't believe the best? What if I've tried to believe the best, but nothing's changed day in, day out, year after year? I, I've been so burned. I've been so abused. You don't know this situation I'm in. Well, here's what I'd say. More importantly, here's what Paul would say. 
Love not only believes all things, it hopes all things. See, when we believe all things, we see the God-given potential that this person could have. But when we hope in all things, it doesn't rest primarily in the person and his or her potential. When we hope all things, we rest, we claim, we memorize and meditate on the promises, the character, and the word of God. You see what I'm saying? When we believe all things, we're focused on the person and who they could be. When we hope all things, we fix our mind on the promises, the power, and the character of God. So this isn't just blind optimism. This isn't just having a glass half full mentality. When we hope all things, we don't lose our faith. We remain expectant. We remind ourselves of the grace of God, the work of Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit. We tell ourselves this, that God has not given up on this person and neither will I. And so, look, I want to give you a quick plug right here. This is one of the main reasons why you should memorize Scripture. A lot of times when we talk about Scripture memory, we're very quick to point out, all right, this will help you fight sin. This will help you in an evangelistic situation when you want to share the truth with someone. But also keep in mind when you memorize, when you store up Scripture in your heart, it will enable you to hope all things, to show tough love to people. Because when we memorize scripture, all right, we are just reminding ourselves, we are meditating, we're remembering the promises and the character of God. So here's a few promises that I remember, because this is a really big struggle for me. I so, I, I'm so quick to write people off or, or to move on from people, but I remember these truths. Truths like 1 Corinthians 3.16 that says, don't you know your God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? Or Romans 8.11, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Or 2 Timothy 1.7 that says this, God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Or 1 John 4.4, 4, which says, he that is in you is greater than, than he that is in the world. And finally, Philippians 1.6 I am sure of this, that he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, in these tough moments, in these challenging relationships, when we memorize these scriptures, we're reminded that God will not give up on this person, and neither will I. One final thought, one final verse, and this is a verse that just plasters bumper stickers and coffee mugs and motivational posters and Christian bookstores, it's Romans 8, 28. And this is a great truth, and it says this. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, here's the thing. The good that all things work together for is not this vague, general good. All right, if you actually just read one verse later, Paul defines the good that everything is working towards. And you know what it is? Being conformed into the image of his son. All right, I'll put it in layman's terms. All right, becoming more like Jesus. Here's what Paul is saying in Romans 8, 28, that God is ordering the entire, entire universe. He is directing the entire cosmos to make his children more like Jesus. You got that? 
And I, at least in my experience, at least in my life, other than the means of grace, the Word of God, prayer, the sacraments, perhaps the most sanctifying tool that God has used in my life to make me more like Jesus is challenging relationships. Moments where I'm forced to display and show tough love. And the point I'm making is this. So often when we're in a tough relationship with a coworker, a family member, a friend, we're very quick to focus on how they need to change and what's wrong with them. But if Romans 8.28 is true, that means we're in this relationship with a gossiping sorority sister or a lazy coworker or a deceptive boss or a, roommate, a messy roommate or messy spouse, an angry relative, because God is making us more like Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? God is changing that person. God is working in that person, but he's also working in you. He's that committed to your holiness. And if Romans 8.28 is true, it means that you can't be like Jesus. You can't reach the level of holiness that he desires for you without that coworker or that family member or that screaming newborn. All right? You have to have these relationships to become more like Jesus. So not only does love walk through the worst, not only does love believe the best, finally love just holds on. Love holds on. Paul says that love endures all things. And this is actually a military phrase. This is a military word. And what Paul is saying right here, he's saying you can't kill tough love. Tough love survives. It hangs on. It never gives up. In fact, the picture that Paul is painting right here is that of a battle scene and of, uh, of one where a superior force is overtaking, all right, a battalion, a platoon, a group of men. And these, these men are dug into their trenches. They're dug into their positions, but they're being overwhelmed. And what does a good commander, a good general, a good leader do in those moments? He starts pacing back and forth, up and down the line, moving through the trenches, and he reminds his truth, troops. He screams to his men, stand your ground. Hold your position no matter what. This is what Paul was doing at the end of this passage. All right? He's just calling us to hold on. And sometimes, all right, that's the word we need when we attempt to love other people. Tough love, real love, just hangs on. Amen. There we go. And so this is what we see right here. Paul gives us a blueprint. This is a how-to to form loving character, to become a loving church. Paul says this, all right, these are the patterns, these are the behaviors we have to grow in, develop in, so that we can be a loving body of believers. Here's an interesting quote from C.S. Lewis. He says this, behave as if you love someone and you will eventually love them. Behave as if you love someone and you will eventually love them. So here's what I'd ask you to do as you've thought through this sermon. And maybe a challenging relationship has come to mind, a family member a coworker, a roommate. Ask yourself, how can I demonstrate, display tough love towards this person? How can I walk through the worst? Or maybe I just need to believe the best. 
Or maybe we're at this point where I just need to hold on. How can you show this person tough love? But there's a more important point that we have to make, and this is where we'll wrap up this sermon, because here's what's really interesting about this passage. We get seven straight verses on love. This is love concentrate. Fifteen consecutive actions. But what is missing in this passage? What will we not read one time in these seven passages? All right, if you're an English major, if you're an English teacher, you probably picked up on this. Guess what Paul never does in this passage? He doesn't give one command. He doesn't command us to bear all things. He doesn't command us to believe all things. He doesn't say you have to endure all things. There's not one call to obedience. There's not one demand to demonstrate tough love. See, love is not the verb in this passage. What is love in this passage? It's the subject. See, here's what's really going on. Paul is actually describing love. He's actually personifying love. And Paul is saying love is actually what? A person. So who do you think Paul has in mind as he writes out 1 Corinthians 13? Y'all help me out here. Jesus. There we go. Jesus. And you can actually go to this passage, and you can take out the word love and replace it with Jesus, and it works pretty well. Y'all read with me. All right? Starting in verse 4. Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. Jesus is not arrogant or rude. Jesus never insisted on his own way. Jesus was not irritable or resentful. Jesus did not rejoice at wrongdoing. Jesus rejoiced with the truth. Jesus bared all things, believed all things, hoped all things, and endured all things. You tell me, does that work pretty well? Absolutely. And here's the point. Paul is describing, he is personifying Jesus And I think what he's pushing at is he's saying this. Look, if you want to show this type of love, if you want to be a man, a woman, a church that demonstrates tough love, you've got to experience love before you display it. You've got to know the love of Jesus before you show the love of Jesus. You've got to encounter the tough love of Jesus Christ before you live like Jesus Christ. So my question for you, brothers and sisters, have you experienced, have you met the tough love of Jesus Christ? Because if you fail, if you fail to demonstrate and live and show the tough love of Jesus, I would question if you've really experienced the real thing. See, if you want to be a person, if we want to be a church that regularly, that daily walks to the worst, believes the best, and just holds on, you have to meet the one who did on your behalf. Now let me ask you this. Did Jesus walk through the worst? Did Jesus bear our burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ? Absolutely. Jesus left heaven. He came to earth. He got really close to us. And he didn't just bear part of our burden, a portion of a burden. He didn't just put one shoulder under the burden. You know what the gospel says? Is that Jesus actually became sin on our behalf. He went to the cross, which was a sign of divine wrath and curse. Jesus didn't just bear our burden. He became our burden. 
Did Jesus believe the best? Absolutely. Hebrews 12, 2 says this, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Was Jesus bitter and skeptical and cynical and begrudging as he went to the cross? No, he was joyful because he believed the best in you and me. And did Jesus hold on? What did we sing early on? We said, we, we said that at the end of Jesus' life, what did he cry? What did he scream? It is finished. He loved us to the very end. He held on. See, this is the truth of the gospel. So I know most of us probably have somebody in our life who is tough to love, challenging to love. It might be a family member, a coworker, or a friend. But the gospel says this, is that I'm more selfish, more irresponsible, more prideful, more sinful than this person. And you know what? That Jesus was tortured, he was killed, he was burdened for me. Jesus gave up his life for me. And when I really start to meditate, when I really start to believe and think on this truth, you know what it makes me want to do? It makes me want to love others. It reminds me that I can give up my time. I can give up my effort. I can bear someone's burden. I can give up my emotion because Jesus died for me. Not because I was lovely. Not because I was blameless. He died to make me lovely. See, here's the reality. If you want to be a person, if we want to be a church who walks through the worst, believes the best, and just holds on, we have to remember that Jesus was willing. Jesus did walk through our worst. He believed the best in us, and he did hold on. That's the only thing that will motivate us, that will drive us to show tough love in this city. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I thank you for your love. I thank you that it was more than romance. It was more than just an emotion. It was more than just a feeling. It was real love. It was tough love. Jesus, you walked through the worst. You believed the best, and you held on. So, Lord, I pray that we would be a church. I pray that we would be men and women who show this type of love to our friends, to our families, to our coworkers, to our church, and to our city. God, would you guide us? Would you be with us? Give us your love. In your name, amen.